We're going to try this again. Hopefully you can hear me out there in Radio Land. Uh, this is Steve at KEPW. Uh, let us know if you're hearing us okay. Um, we're having a little bit of difficulty with uh, the microphone, but hopefully you can hear us. Uh, you're listening to Open Waves, and we have uh, a special guest uh, tonight named Catherine who's here to talk about uh, anarchism and Quakers. Catherine, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Good. Thanks for coming in. It's good to have you here. So uh, maybe you can talk a little bit at least uh, to start about Quakers in general. I did a little bit of research uh, around that and found out that there aren't very many of you. Sure. So actually, um, I am pretty new to I'm pretty new to being a Quaker. I'm what's called a convinced Quaker. It's sort of similar to the idea of being a convert to a new religion, but um, we use the word convinced because it's a little bit different uh, different connotations than uh, being a convert. So I am not probably the very best person to talk to about what it is historically, but I do know that Quakers used to be a much larger part of America. Uh, they were at one point a quarter of America was, in fact, Quaker. So... Those numbers um, were cut pretty drastically after the Civil War when there was a lot of division and strife about whether or not people should have been in military service. Um, Yeah. So Quakers, there are, you said there's like 300,000 Quakers in America right now? Is that the, that's the wiki, Wikipedia thing? Yeah, I think that's the wiki. That's what wiki is saying, about 377,000. Uh, in the United States. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly small group, small religious group. And it's actually, there's different types of Quakers. There's programmed Quakers and there's unprogrammed Quakers. And I'm an unprogrammed Quakers and there's even fewer of us, uh, but still a substantial number. Um, I think almost 40,000, which I guess, I don't know, that seems like a lot of people to me, if you get all those people in a room. <laughs> <laughs> right. It does seem like a lot of people, but... You know, when we consider the whole yeah. country, yeah. now, uh, you know, and we're just talking about the United States. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, in other countries, the numbers of Quakers that are out there. Mm-hmm. There are there are a lot of Quakers in other places. Actually, I think right now the biggest concentration of Quakers is in Africa. Um, I Yeah. But so the difference between unprogrammed Quakers and programmed Quakers is interesting. Um, so a programmed Quaker is more like a Quaker church that has a service where there's somebody who comes up like a pastor who gives a sermon and it's a more familiar type of worship for sort of a basic Protestant worship. You go to church, there's a sermon. And then what I do, though, and what we do as unprogrammed Quakers is a little bit different. It's called silent worship. And this sort of goes back to the very beginnings of Quaker practice where instead of having... Um, a pastor, we are all having our own direct connections to God, and we worship silently together and just experience as community our own individual um, connection with the divine. And so because we all have our own individual connection with the divine, we can stand up and do what's called vocal ministry, where we feel 
that God wants to speak through us or the divinity wants to speak through us. And if we feel pushed to do so, we can stand and give our own vocal ministry as if each one of us can you know, briefly be a pastor. And sometimes there's no vocal ministry. Sometimes it's just silent for the whole hour. And sometimes we have really, really evocative moving um, four or five ministries throughout the hour. And so it's a really, uh, it's a really beautiful, really interesting way because um, as opposed to having a single pastor continuously, when you have everybody giving their own vocal ministry in their own way, in their own sort of um, connection from their own experience of God and from their own experience as a human, then you get a lot of very different perspectives that happen. So it's always really, really enlightening. You hear, you know, on Easter, we had a really amazing service. Well, it's not a service. (laughs) A really amazing worship um, where one person stood up and he's more of a Christian type Quaker. And he spoke about going to pick up somebody from a prison that morning and seeing all the women waiting outside the prison and feeling like it seemed it was like Mary and the other women waiting on Easter for Jesus um, for the tomb at the tomb of Jesus and then we had another person stand up and do something a completely different vocal ministry where she spoke about a very personal experience as a child that was very spiritual on Easter morning and she was just alone out in a field and it was dewy and it was beautiful and so you end up with these like very very different views but they're all tied into that specific moment and they're not planned so they feel very like fresh and like very deep and very um, contextual you know they're like they happen right then so it's speaking to the moment right then um I really really I really really love that so oh I should explain I said um this one person was a more Christian type Quaker so on sort of a programmed meeting, uh, more of a Quaker church, is generally more Christian. It comes from a very ground, the Quakerism. But on the idea of the unprogrammed meeting is that we don't believe in dogma. So we don't believe that the word of God is directly the word of God necessarily and that the Bible is as written, was written, still the same thing, and that you have to follow all of everything the way exactly that it is, that everything needs to be adjusted within a historical context, and that new things happen so that you can't, if you like end up in this dogmatic way of thinking, then you end up misinterpreting or misunderstanding what is uh, the spirit of the word as opposed to just the letter of the word. So instead of being stuck maybe in what was written you know, thousands of years ago, uh, it sounds like it's more of a group that is interpreting, providing interpretation around God's word to what's happening today. Is that an accurate thing to say? Um, kind of. Well, it's so it's it's just incredibly individual and personal. So some people find, like, I actually do consider myself more of a follower of Christ and more in the Christian tradition, which is really interesting because I definitely did not think that that was going to (laughs) happen but it just sort of developed that way throughout my spiritual practice who knows but then we actually people are surprised to find out we actually have atheists in our meeting and we have um uh buddhist more leaning types and we have uh people the idea being that your spiritual journey is your own and if you find 
something worthwhile in the Bible, if you find something worthwhile um, in any other type of spiritual experience, then that is fine. That's your that's your thing. So um, even though it does have a rooting in Christianity, and a lot of people at the meeting have a rooting in a Christian experience, you know, there's like some uh, lapsed Catholics, and there's some... Um, I don't know, all, all, just all different types of people, just anybody who gets something rich from that, feels something really rich and centering from the spiritual experience of the meeting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you say you do have atheists who do come to, mm-hmm. um, what's the word? Uh, meeting. Meeting. Not really mm-hmm. a service, meeting, it's but me- it's a gathering of Quakers. It's, it's called Meeting for Worship. Meeting mm-hmm. for worship. Okay, yeah. so you do get together, and uh, there, there are is a group of Quakers here in Eugene. Yes, there is. There's two. Uh, there is a friend's church. Oh, so I say friend with a capital F. Quaker is sort of a um, nickname for the religious society of friends. So, uh, referring to Quakers, we call each other friends with a capital F. So I say there's a friend's church. And that's a programmed meeting. And then there's also my meeting, which is the unprogrammed meeting. Um, yeah, so there is a Quaker. It's called the um, Eugene Monthly Meeting. So it's, it's, um, it doesn't meet. It meets every week. It is all the time. But just the way that the parlance happened, a uh, local meeting is called a monthly meeting. And then the, there's a bigger meeting called the yearly meeting that's the North Pacific Yearly Meeting. So, yeah. And so your meeting happens... Every week on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, just take a quick break here. I want to remind folks that we are going to try to take some email questions from anybody who's listening out there. Uh, our email address is staff uh, at kepw.org. It's actually on the web page if you're listening online. And if you will uh, put the topic of open waves, hopefully if, he, if this works, we'll be able to see your Emails come in, and we'll be able to ask uh, Catherine some other questions um, about Quakers. You are listening to KEPW LP FM at 97.3. So this group, you have some atheists. You have uh, quite a wide variety of individuals in the unprogrammed group. Does that go for the program group as well? Or I might, can't speak to the programmed. Yeah, I don't know. So this is the only meeting I've ever been to. Is the Eugene friendly meeting? So that's mm-hmm. all I really. <laughs> that's the only experience I can speak to. Yeah. And how long have you been involved? Uh, since last August. Okay. Mm-hmm. I ended up. I was in Philadelphia for the Democratic National Convention, and when I was there, I went to the Socialist Convergence and I went to the People's Convention, and they were both held in Quaker meeting houses, and these meeting spaces were beautiful and had this really rich energy to them. Uh, it felt really like a spiritual space, and I was just I got really curious about it like wait a minute this is these are Christians and they're hosting the socialist convergence like who are these people <laughs> so what did you find out um I found out that they're that they're great that they're awesome and I just thought well maybe I'll see if there's a Quaker meeting in Eugene I'll just check it out and so I went and um was immediately just like immediately overblown with how wonderful it was and just have been staying ever since. So that was the uh, DNC was at the end of July. So then I came, I started going to the meeting in August. So I've been there for not even a year yet, but it's like, I'm, I'm so Quaker now. Like it just like, it got me for sure. <laughs> That's great. I like it. Uh, 
do you want to talk a little bit about the convention? I mean, that's that's interesting. I've never gone to a national mm. convention like that. Well, that gets real dicey. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm imagining... We can just it. say that I went to the convention that came out an anarchist, so I think that pretty much sums that up. <laughs> I think I can probably understand why. I, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of us out here that are, that are having the same uh, feeling about it. Uh, huge crowd, it seems like, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people... Um, and it was Philadelphia. I've never been there, but you actually went into the convention, and it was this huge theater. Mm, well, I was there. Well, I mean, I was there with the Oregon delegation. I wasn't, but I wasn't a delegate. I was called a plus one, so I only I had partial access. So I was actually spend most of my time outside in protests, as opposed to just a couple times went into the convention, not the Wells Fargo, but the other convention center. They had workshops and stuff, but. Yeah, that was an interesting, an interesting thing. That's a big long story. I think for another time, so. it could be. It's just interesting to me that that out of that huge gathering of individuals, you went to this other gathering, and you you I don't know if, it, if this is the correct word, but you fell into becoming a Quaker. Yeah, I mean Philadelphia is a real hotbed of activism. I loved Philadelphia. I fell in love with Philadelphia. It was great. Every little store had these like little socialist papers and like all of this wonderful stuff and. Um, so that's yeah. So that was my first introduction, and I actually um, I didn't really I didn't really come out an anarchist. I was an anarchist years and years ago. I was interested in the theory, but I got I don't know I got derailed by capitalism, I guess you could say, and then sort of thought like a lot of people like oh maybe the you can work within the system. Maybe Bernie Sanders is a thing that can work and. Um, when that, when that went to hell, I kind of was like, no, I need to get back to my roots. Like, I really need to get back to the, what I really think is the right way forward, which I think is an anarchist society. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Talk about that. Talk about that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how that fits into Quakerism. Sure. So it's funny because a lot of people say, you know, Quaker equals pacifist and very peaceful, nonviolent. And then anarchist, the image is like... Very, very violent, you know, Molotov cocktails and the whole deal. So it's like, how on earth can you be a Quaker and an anarchist? That doesn't jive. But does uh, does being an anarchist necessarily mean that it is, you know, a lot of, of, of violence or a lot of active no, interventions no. and whatnot? That, that wasn't my feeling, but you know, there mm-hmm. is that that so overshadowing. That, I think around right. The so like that's idea. that's exactly it. Is that anarchism is not this necessarily super violent type of thing. And actually, it's not super violent in general. There are different aspects of violence that is... There's a different understanding of what, what violence is. and um, But that is sort of a different... There's also different types of anarchism. And the anarchism that I focus on is the type of anarchism that's very sort of utopian in the same way that Quaker background is utopian um, in a way that I think is really, really beautiful. So actually, so I brought this book here. One of my very favorite people is Alexander Berkman. And Alexander Berkman is a very well-known anarchist. He is one of the fathers of anarchism, and he is well-known for the propaganda of the deed, which is the idea of sort of these violent acts, specific violent acts to sort of move the revolution forward or to um, 
bring people to the cause or make a statement. Or There's a lot of reasons behind the idea of propaganda of the deed, and he was well-known for a bombing and for um, attempt, an attempted assassination and prison for a long time. And that's sort of the Alexander Berkman that most people know. But there's this whole other Alexander Berkman that I discovered where after all of that, as he got older, he was exiled. He ended up working in the Russian Revolution, and he came out of that pretty different. And he wrote a book to sort of explain anarchism. And in the, his very introduction, he says he seems pretty frustrated with how anarchism was being um, relayed or understood by the public in large, which is sort of a frustration I feel too. Um, he said from the, his, introdu- his introduction to ABC's Anarchism, or what is anarchism? <clears throat> First of all, I have to tell you what anarchism is not. It is not bombs, disorder, or chaos. It is not free and murder. It is not a war of each against all. It is not a return to barbarism or the wild state of man. Anarchism is the very opposite of all that. So that's not the Berkman that most people know. And he even gets, like, more fiery about it. Like, he really changed his mind on propaganda of the deed and on sort of the violent aspects of anarchist tactic, you know? So he, this is, I really like this quote, and it's not exactly Gandhi here. Um, Violence is the method of ignorance, the weapon of the weak. The strong of heart and brain need no violence, for they are irresistible in their consciousness of being right. I think that's a great quote. And um, I see the same sort of, um, so there is this entirely different type of anarchism that um, people don't know as much about, and is actually just as prevalent. And, and um, why, let's see, I think I, I should probably talk about like what it is, like exactly what an anarchist society looks like, mm-hmm. right? Um, sure. So... Again, there are probably, there are, I know, people that are better equipped to speak to this in detail, but uh, I'm going to just do my best. (laughs) So the idea behind an anarchist society is that um, right now, capitalism, the way it's set up, it incentivizes people to be sociopaths. It incentivizes people to step on everybody that they can in order to make it. This sort of like this, um, you know, the the best man wins. And so when we have these incentives for everybody to treat everybody else badly and try and we, we what ends up happening is we have to try and keep people in line via all of these laws and via really harsh punishments and via coercions and what that ends up being is a situation where the people who are writing the laws are the ones that have been the best being sociopaths, <laughs> right? The white people who have been able to get into power are the ones who end up being able to make the rules. So you end up with this situation of severe oppression for most people, and it's just built into the system for it to be that way. So what an anarchist society says is instead of having these incentives of being terrible to each other and then trying to rein them in in this way that really doesn't work, you change the incentives because people will always just sort of work for what's best for them. So what we're saying is if you show people that your incentives are in line, what's good for you is good for the community, and what's good for your community is good for you, 
then you don't have to be continuously trying to coerce people into not being terrible people, right? So um, it, that's, that's basically it. So it, it relies on the ideas of mutual aid, which is sort of the same idea that you help me, I help you, and it relies on the ideas of a real love of diversity because you need all hands on deck for a community to work that way. You need lots of different types of skills. You need lots of different types of people. You need lots of different types of insights and different types of creativity. So anarchists really, really um, appreciate and adore and love diversity of people um, and fight for their rights, for diversity, for people to be loved and accepted, not in society, um, and be at the wheel, you know. So how this fits in oh and and so basically anarchism is is anti-authoritarian at its core because authoritarianism is um based in coercion and oppression because you have some person at the top that just tells everybody else what to do and if you don't like that then that's just too bad um and we're saying we think there should be no one person or any group of people on the top should have the authority over everybody else. That everybody is equal in society or should be equal in society. Like true democracy, right, is when everybody has a say in what happens with them in their lives. Mm -hmm. So it's basically saying that authority as itself, just straight up authority is illegitimate. Because we can respect each other for what we bring to the table, you know, for our experience, for who we are, for what we, you know, our knowledge. And you, you only need respect. You don't need this, like, hierarchical authority. And that hierarchical authority is actually ends up being coercive and ends up being corrupting to whoever even is holding that power. So um, that anti-authoritarian thing is what ties anarchism in with Quakerism. Because Quakers also believe that we are all equal. We are all equal under the eyes of God. And nobody can tell us what our relationship with God is. You know, so like church hierarchies um, don't work for us. <laughs> because they're having, saying that we need an intermediary between ourselves and our inner power and God's power and God's light is not okay at all. You know, you're, you're trying to say that somebody above me gets to sort of have that power first and then give me some of it is totally an illegitimate claim. Um, so, and Quakers, because of the same values of um, equality, that the light within is in everybody and that we are all equal under the eyes of God, it's ended up with this sort of societal or religious society structure of based in consensus and based in um, sort of equal representation between all parts and all parties. So sort of anarchist ideals and Quaker ideals are actually very closely related. Because also, if you have this idea that everyone is equal and every should, everyone should be equal and everyone has the right to their own power and everyone has the right to their own connection to power, their connection to spirit, and their connection to God, and the right to have an equal and non-coercive cooperative connection to everybody else, 
then, um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's, I, I'm just sitting here listening and there's a lot there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got back to, you know, the whole idea that our, our current system, uh, you know, as capitalism it, it is creating literally sociopaths is, is what you're yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think we can see that a lot, you know, with all of the major parties. I mean, there's the Republicans, there's the Democrats, there's the Independents, you know, there's the Green Party. I think all of those different parties that are put together, they're all being influenced by money, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and special interest groups. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, right now we have. Uh, political parties or political situation that is leaving the majority of us out in the cold. You're right. We have this huge group back in D.C. who are making up all these rules or, you know, people in Salem who are making up the rules for the state that are supposed to apply to us. And I guess, you know, the way I think about the way things ought to work is from the bottom up Mm -hmm. versus the top down. And it sounds like that's what you're you're talking about, and that's what you're... Or the idea that there should not be a top to go up to. So, like, right now it's sort of the idea of bottom-up organizing, but what we're talking about in general instead is thinking of society and organizations within society horizontally instead of vertically. So right now we think of, when you, we talk about the bottom-up, you know, we're talking about sort of this, like, monolithic power structure where you know thinking about a triangle where there's like the few people at the top you know but there's the president and there's the senate and the house and the blah 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 and the states and it goes all the way down till just the people and what we're talking about is a system that that is entirely there is no top it's just all completely horizontally organized so it's it's even a little bit uh different than that it's because it's, it's, it's funny how semantics happen and like those things work into our language because it's how we think about stuff yeah mm-hmm. so bottom you know so people so people still working within the electoral system talk about bottom up organizing and we're just talking about j- just organizing <laughs> like no towards up you know mm-hmm. like we're just taking the power back we're trying to flatten the pyramid just take the power out of hands of the people on the top and down right. to the bottom in general so it's it's but a there very, is no bottom but just back to just back to normal yeah to, exactly well it, it's not really normal though you know so i funny mean no i agree <laughs> i totally agree i mean that should be the norm yeah you know but we've gotten so far away from that mm-hmm. uh and i think pretty much any country that you look at it's not just the united states but it's all around the world for the most part. I can't speak for everybody, but I'm sure there's some societies or countries out there that work uh, more from a, whatever you want to call an absolute or humanistic, you know, uh, a point of view. But now as we look at it, uh, our system is really, really, really polluted and does not really apply to the majority of us. I'm going to take a quick interlude here. We're speaking to uh, Catherine about Quakers and anarchism. And I want to remind people that you can email in uh, questions for Catherine. Uh, the email is on our webpage, but if you're listening on the radio, it's staff at kepw.org. And if you put in your uh, topic area, Open Waves, we will uh, read those questions out to you. We do have uh, a question that came in from one person, and I think this, this is probably a question that we all want to know. It how to make this happen, but mm. how is anarchy the solution? Uh, 
This came in from Piper. How is anarchy the solution? Yeah. Ooh, okay. So anarchy is the solution because... Well, there's so many good reasons. Where do I even start? I know, so hard, well, and yeah, and it's, it's, it's quite... I mean, if you look at the state of affairs okay. today, right. uh, how would you go and... I mean, you can apply the principles that you've talked about to your own life. Mm. Um, but then how do you Dude. get that to spread right. and move through society? I think I do like to think, right, that there is a fairly large group of people out there that have very similar views. Maybe they're not anarchists, you know. Mm. I, I don't necessarily, I just, I don't call myself an anarchist. I really don't call myself anything other than, you know, a, a person. But um, to just come back to those what I call uh, open values, you know, that we mm-hmm. all tend to have. I mean, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I want, I got to eat, yeah, right? I got to have a place where I can feel comfortable in, uh, even if it's, a, if it's a, a place as big as this room that we're sitting in, which is, I don't know, probably 10 by 10, but some level of, of comfort. And so I think if you talk to people and you strip away all the political stuff, right, we have a a core set of, of values or needs, you know, that we have to have met. Yeah, so I think the sort of veiled part of this question here is um, saying, well, because why is anarchy the answer? Because anarchy totally wouldn't work. So to answer that, basically what we're saying is that the left is not reaching farther far enough in their goals. Back when we were in monarchies, everyone said, oh, democracy is a terrible idea. You couldn't possibly be, that's not going to work at all. People are too stupid and unorganized to take care of themselves. Um, they, we have to have a monarch to tell everybody what to do. Otherwise, it'll be chaos. <laughs> it'll be like a complete breakdown of society if you try and institute democracy, right? And that's sort of been the argument this whole time is that people cannot take care of themselves, that we can't take care of ourselves within community, that we're too stupid, that we're too unorganized, that we're basically just like wild animals that need to be herded by somebody. And um, I don't accept that, and a lot of anarchists don't accept that. And if history bends towards justice and history bends towards more and more democratic, you know, more equality and a more democratic process, then if... If you think about it, what we're actually bending towards is anarchy, is is anarchism. So, so let's talk about the word anarchy. <laughs> no, that's a, yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead. That's, okay, a, that's so, a real interesting yeah. concept and an idea. So go so ahead. So let's talk. So the word anarchy is a real can be real problematic because right now people see anarchy and chaos is the same thing. Like, ah, oh, it's just anarchy. It's chaos. It's a complete breakdown of society. It's just like everybody, you know. Um, no order, right? But those, uh, again, just to emphasize, those are not necessarily the values or the ideas of an anarchist. Correct, right? because okay. the word anarchism, anarchy, actually the Greek is without rulers. Anarchy. Monarchy is one ruler. Anarchy is no rulers. So if you think that we have to have hierarchies and we have to have leaders in order to have any order, then the idea of not having leaders sounds like chaos. But what we're saying is anarchism, no leaders, does not mean chaos. 
You know what I mean? So that those have been conflated in a way that is unfortunate. <laughs> right. So. I'm just I'm sitting here thinking though we still would have to have or not necessarily have to have, but we would still have leaders in an anarchist society. But the idea is to not incentivize people to want power, to want to be in hierarchical positions because hierarchies are poisonous. Having power over other people is poisonous to anybody who's in that position. So instead of right now, the idea is that you want power, you want privilege, you want to be above others. And what we're saying is, no, we don't want that. That's something to not incentivize in our culture. We don't want authoritarian values to be the norm. We want anti-authoritarian values to be the norm. So sometimes, yes, sometimes you do need leaders. Right, But the idea is if the value system is such that leaders are discouraged, what you, can, what you end up with in your like, organizational structures is instead you end up with a situation where you may have um, rotating leadership or you have temporary leadership where you strive at all times to sort of like full consensus if, if, if possible, if not possible, then you move to maybe consensus minus one or you move to two thirds. You know, you are always trying your best to make sure that everybody is involved and making sure that nobody is holding power for any length of time. And so if you see what I'm saying right now, people are like, well, that sounds like what America tried to do. Yes, correct. Like, <laughs> that's exactly it. Like, that's exactly the idea is like there was an understanding back in the day, and there's still an understanding now that has sort of been diffused that it's a bad idea to have the same people in positions of power for a long time because power is corrupting. It's right? exactly what's happening. Which is exactly what's happening. So again, these these ideas, these sort of anarchist ideals are already a really big part of our society. We're just not calling them what they are. We're just not reaching farther, far enough into sort of the utopian ideal. Like, oh, well, it's utopian. It's like, yeah, but that's what you want to be reaching for. Right? You don't want to be reaching halfway to sort of like a kind of representative hierarchical democracy. You know, why not? The goal itself should be all the way to full democ- to like full horizontal democracy, to like full equality and justice. You know, so like, because if you're only reaching halfway, you're only get halfway to halfway, and that's where we're at. And then it slides all the way back into the other side, right? You so. think we're halfway? No, <laughs> no. Where do you think we are on that spectrum? At this right now, point? well, we're 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 rapidly sliding into full authoritarianism. That's where we're at. So, like, that sucks because the right, the right. So, if you if you look at this scale, we have this like on one end, you've got full anarchism, which is full anti-authoritarianism, full horizontal, um, non-hierarchical organization. On the other side, you've got full authoritarianism which is like one person at the top, everybody underneath them, right? Mm-hmm. The right, the, far, the right is totally comfortable with full authoritarianism. Totally comfortable with it. Like, that doesn't bother them at all. They're reaching for gold on that one. But then the left is really uncomfortable with the idea of full, dem- from a- for actual full democracy. Like, oh, it's impossible, no way, we can't do that. So the left is reaching, like just a little bit into the left, and then they're still within a basically authoritarian hierarchical structure. But the right is going for the full right. So, like, what ends up happening is you, if you've got the one side reaching for, like, a 2 on the scale, and the other side's reaching for a 10, you end up a lot closer to full up, and that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. So, 
basically, as an anarchist, what I'm saying is, like, come on, like, can we believe in ourselves on the left a little bit? Like, can we actually believe in the idea that democracy works? You know? So if I, in a way, from what you're saying then uh, about the left is that it really isn't left, but it's part of the problem as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. No, it's 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 an interesting uh, concept. We have another question uh, that's come in, and uh-huh. uh, please keep your questions coming in. This is great. Uh, you can send them to staff at uh, kepw.org. And this one's from D, and D is asking, "What does faith give us when we engage in political struggle?" And I do wonder about that question. So, uh, based on what you're talking about, anarchism and the values. Is it actually a struggle? Is the between faith and anarchism, or the, the move towards anarchism? Oh, like society moving towards anarchism? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a really, really hard struggle. Although I think that we're further along than people realize. The word anarchism has a whole lot of baggage, but anarchist ideals are basically just, you know, justice, social justice, full, true, representative. Not, repre- not representative, but, like, actual true direct democracy. And people generally agree on those things. So, like, what you see now... And we also, at this point, it's becoming more and more clear that government is sort of a sham, um, right? I mean, right now, it's like, okay, yes. well, you know, maybe those anarchists had a point that the government is going to betray you eventually. Like, there it goes. Yep. So, if we look at... I'm just flashing back on what you said earlier about sociopaths. So... Really, the people who are on the far right, who are following some of the some of the whatever you want to call it, it's not the the right word, but the face of the ideals of the far right, um, they are being spoofed or they've been brainwashed uh, into believing that that's the way to go that that, that they'll re- they'll achieve equality. No, I don't think following. so. No, I think that I think authoritarians enjoy authoritarianism oh, and really? want to be on the top and smush everybody else. Yeah, so I don't think I don't think a lot of people on the right have any I are do not are not interested in equality at all. At all. No, no, they're not interested in equality. They're interested in authoritarianism, assuming that they will be at the top of that food chain. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. So, but individually, I mean, they know that they won't ever be, you know, president. They know that they may not ever be. Mm-hmm. A senator. They know that they might not ever own a business. Well, this is hard. But it's always hard when you try and talk about people in a monolithic way. Because this is a really complicated subject. You know what I mean? Like, I think mostly, generally, you've got just a huge amount of people that are only half paying attention. You know what I mean? Like, that's the reality of it. Like, most people that's just true, sort of, like... That's true, we're lucky. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, most people just sort of aren't really paying attention and sort of just going, you know what I mean? Seeing what's going on. And right now, if... Um, authoritarianism is the way that things are and that's society now, then okay, I guess that's what we're doing. We'll accept you know, it and we'll, we'll ignore it, it whatever, and we're okay or, with that and not try to change it. If it's not if it's not directly hurting them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People tend sometimes tend to not notice something unless it starts to directly harm them. So, What was the question, though? I think we oh, yeah, we got to get back Sorry. to these questions. <laughs> the, Sorry, the, D. Yeah. yeah, he said, what does faith give us oh, when yeah. we faith. engage in political struggle? Oh, so back, so back looking at faith. So important. Like, I don't think I... I don't know if I... I think I might have dropped... I, like, I don't know if I could keep doing political struggle without faith at this point. Like, it's hard. It is really hard. I think one of the real battles that we're facing right now is just for morale. 
is just for spirit power, you know? Like, people are depressed. This is depressing. We're facing down some terrible, terrible stuff with authoritarianism, with climate change. Like, it's really scary. And so how do you, you know, we talk a lot about self-care. And for me and for a lot of people in social justice, not necessarily on the far left, but people working in social justice in lots of different areas, um, faith is really, faith is really important. And faith is different than religious practice. Um, faith can mean a lot of things to different people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was gonna throw that in, but that yeah. Yeah, for me, religious practice, and I think in general, actually, religious practice has its own real, real important benefits when it comes to like centering, when it comes to ritual, when it comes to like, um, just making sure taking like taking time out of your week and out of your day whenever you need to to just reconnect to something larger than yourself. I, I, Take a deep breath is how I did. Yeah. And I actually saw you <laughs> when you were talking about that. You took a breath in, you closed your eyes, and you could. I could see that you were going back to that place inside of you that that yeah. you pick up on that that helps to. to yeah, you. it's yeah. really really important. Um, it's yeah, it's really really important to stay centered and to stay to keep perspective. So like that's something that faith does is it keeps you humble. You know, it keeps you connected with um, sort of infinite, the you know, keeping, you know, our own sort of, it sounds, it sounds negative to say like insignificance, but it's not, you know, but it's also, it's, it's insignificance at the same time as significance. It's hard to, it is, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, uh, you're important, you're important in, to your God, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're important to your community, but you're also overall pretty insignificant in like the run of things exactly and that that's okay it's sort of like let go of that control so that's sort of what faith is is sort of a letting go of the need to control everything because you can't so if you feel the need to control everything in your life and control all politics and control everybody doing politics on your side and their side and everything and like getting really upset when things aren't going like it's like that's what faith is is just like taking a breath and saying, I'm not in control, you know? And realizing that you have that base of yourself, yeah. your belief, to fall back on mm-hmm. and not get so wrapped up in what's going on out there that you can't see for yourself mm-hmm. what the value is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Exactly. And it's also just for me, like as a Christian type, um, the idea of living in service that it doesn't, you, you do good works because you do good works, not because of outcomes, not because of um, looking good to other people. Um, you do good works because you do. So, like, even if you fail at everything, that's not the, it's not the point. The point is that you live in service, and so having that faith grounding is really important on those days where it feels like, you're going to lose. Right. You know? Now we have, and this is leading into a thought that I had. We have another uh, question. And her question is, how do you, you police people? Uh, <laughs> what do you do about crime? And I was thinking that, you know, our or your or our individual interpretation of good, okay, uh-huh. uh, for another individual, it could that, that person could look like a, a criminal, so to speak, but that's how they interpret good. Sure. Um, first, I think that's my mom. Thanks, Ma. 
<laughs> um, but it's a good question. She always challenges me. So um, societies are defined by, in one way, defined by how you punish people and how you sort of keep societal order. And there's a number of different ways to do that. Um, generally, we're talking about punishment, we're talking about sanctions, right? So if, you, if the, the, first, the first order of business is, like I said, to change incentives, um, and the second order of business is to help people who need help in the restorative justice instead of moving straight to punishment, and so after both changing incentives and after believing, working, doing restorative justice work and taking care of people and, like, really caring for community, hope, like, the idea is then you have fewer people that you have to, fewer times you have to be using punishment. And then types of punishment vary widely also. So I see three different main types of sanctions, those being social sanctions, economic sanctions, and physical sanctions. So physical sanctions are basically, um, you know, abuse, torture, um, deprivation, um, yeah, Mur- murder, execution. Those are all physical sanctions, something that happens material, materially to somebody's body. And I would say um, incarceration is, in one aspect, also a physical sanction. Incarceration has a lot of different... Incarceration actually is all three types of sanctions. Um, So that's physical sanctions. The next one's economic sanctions. These ones we understand. Um, Fines, right? That kind of... Fines, being afraid of losing your job, losing your job, that kind of thing. Those are economic sanctions. So those those little pieces sound similar to what we have right now. We have all of these. A society right now uses all of these. Right. And um, actually, that's an interesting thing because the softer sanctions are mostly for people at the top and the harsher sanctions are the ones for the people at the bottom. That's true. And and just going back to the whole incentive piece, what incentivizes people, um, it does seem like if we were to change that, if you could change that, that there would be a lot less criminality. Yeah, yeah. It's a theory. The idea is... Right, so the idea is instead of jumping to, well, how are you going to punish people, it's like, well, how do you keep people from being in a situation but saying that there always will be um the next one after that is social sanctions and social sanctions are um letting not letting people into a group um this is sort of like um keeping people outside of society um and so those are sort of I think actually psychologically harsh, but not in the way that, um, not the kinds of punishment in the way that economic and physical sanctions are. So um, in a community-based system, in a community-based horizontal organizational system, the idea is that values are policed at, or, you know, policed, I really don't like the word policed. Yeah, I was going to say policing but, um, goes, appears to it, sound. But it's it's serving the purpose okay. right now, semantically, for what we're trying okay. to talk about. Um, so, like, um, shoot, what was I saying? Dang it. Okay, so, right, so it's, so these um, values, societal values are policed at the individual level, at the local level, at the, you know, family level, at the community level, 
that lots and lots of issues can be dealt with on that scale interpersonally through social sanction first. This is something that a lot of, like, societies, older societies and religious societies, you know, you deal with your own ranks in the way that is the most the, the most local, most smallest level possible so that you can have the full story, right? The less humanized, the more humanized the person is, um, the the better for everybody, right. you know? So then, so then at that point, if that's, if that's not working, those are, that's the, your main goal is social sanctions. I want to mention real, real quick here too, is that all of these issues with anarchism, people say, well, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? Is, well, it needs to be workshopped. Like this is still a theoretical societal model, but people had all of the same concerns with democracy. And as you do it, you figure it out. And people figure out systems. So we have a hundred years of anarchist theory that's like that I need to read up more on. This is something that people have done a lot of work on, and I'm sure there are anarchists in the crowd right now being like, "Oh, me, me, me!" <laughs> like, like I know how to talk about this better. But no, and I mean that's one thing, and you know, yeah, and we and we would like to hear from those individuals. Oh but yeah, I would love. But to. I think you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you as well. Uh, yeah, it seems like being workshop. I can't get around the fact that you'll still have some type of structure, you know, to the anarchistic society, uh-huh. and that somehow, I guess as I as I think about it, I mean, it would probably happen way long after I've, I'm dead, but you would still tend, I would think you'd still tend to move towards the structure that we have right now um, in an anarchist society. So the idea is that humans do tend to want to move towards vice or towards things that we don't like and that trying to be good people and have just trying to keep humans organized in a healthy way in a working way in an equal way in a just way Mm -hmm. is always hard and so it'll, it's going to continue Especially when to you're be... trying to, to make this happen in a yeah. society that doesn't jive at all right. with your concepts and ideas. But it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's like a sub-society that a lot of these things are already happening. That's another topic. But so the idea is that, yes, it's always hard and it's going to always con- be a continuous fight just like it has throughout human history. You know, so if we, we tend to want to move back towards authoritarianism because it feels easier or because people in power want to continue to take power yeah we're gonna have to continuously fight against that but we should still be fighting against that towards the full goal instead of just sort of like halfway there you know nice well we've been talking with Catherine. i can't believe it's been an hour we got we got off we got off to a little rocky (laughs) start there we didn't quite have our uh equipment (laughs) online but it has been uh an hour well spent we appreciate um all the questions that uh, folks sent in uh, you've been listening to uh, Open Waves on KEPW. Uh, I'm Steve Carpenter, and we hope to be back again with you next week. Thanks so much for listening.